I'm Nikki. And I'm Kirtana. And you're listening to The Chat Room. You know, it's funny, my first memory of doing something at night without my parents is actually going to a musical. I went to Pirates of Penzance. Is that a musical? Or did That's I make that musical. up? That's a musical. That's okay. a musical. It's a pretty... It's a pretty famous one. So you picked a good one. Oh, really? I'm like, so wow. I must sound like such an amateur. I didn't even know that. Um, So I went to see that in fourth grade. And I remember having to ask my parents to sign that permission slip. And I was so nervous. And I think I lied to them saying it was extra credit. Like if they let me go, I'd get extra credit in the class. This instantly goes back to exactly the, (laughs) the conversation we had last week. Clearly this podcast is meant to be some sort of confessional. (laughs) These are my confessions. (laughs) You know what's so sad though about that musical? I I don't even remember it because I was sitting there like so excited that I was just at a nighttime field trip away from my parents and I don't think I even paid attention to what was happening. (laughs) It's probably fine that you don't remember Pirates of Penzance. It's not like it's Hamilton, okay? True, true. I remember Hamilton very well. This week's guest speaking of theater, does incredible work in theater. And I'm so excited that we get to share this conversation with everybody. Yeah, Rehana's so cute. I don't even know if she'll get offended that I said that. (laughs) This week's guest is the acclaimed and celebrated playwright, Rehana Lou Mirza. Rehana's plays include Hate Fuck, A People's Guide to History in the Time of Here and Now, Soldier X, Tomorrow, Inshallah, Neighborhood Watch, and Barriers. Be honest, you just wanted to say fuck. I really did just want to say that. (laughs) How transparent was that? (laughs) Everyone's going to be like, did you hear Nikita said the F word on her podcast? (laughs) I'm not. It was part of the play, Auntie God. I just imagined you saying hate fuck with a smile on your face no i went hate fuck (laughs) (laughs) with her husband mike lou she shares a mellon foundation national playwright residency administered in partnership with howl round at mayi theater as well as a commission at la jolla playhouse for the colonialism project after previously being their 2018 artist in residence Rihanna and her husband have also co-written in partnership with Sam Wilmot, the musical Bang in It, and they were also recently awarded the 2020 Cleveland for Most Promising Libertist. Wow, are they relationship goals? I can't even imagine sitting in the same room as a potential husband for so long and they're like writing shit together. Seriously. Did you hear Nikita say she doesn't want to sit in the same room as her husband and her podcast? Who is this auntie? <laughs> Who isn't this auntie? (laughs) So true, Bestie. So true. (laughs) Additional honors include NYFA Fellow, Cult Cure Company Member, HBO Access Fellow, Lilly Award, EST Sloan Commission, and a TCG New Georgia's Fellowship. Holy shit. She's done a lot of shit. I want to give a shout out to the hard work that it really takes to tackle plays with the type of subject matter that is in Rehana's plays. A hundred percent. Actually, Hate Fuck was probably the first play I ever read as an assistant. And I was just like, whoa, I didn't know brown women could write about this and it be okay and it be enjoyable for me to read. And it really, 
it she writes about things that kind of make you squirm and think and that's really hard especially in a field where it's already hard to break in and not only just that you have like this added layer of writing about taboo subjects yeah absolutely should we do a play a drinking game to how many times we said hate fuck in this intro hate fuck I'm not saying <laughs> this episode is so good because she is so clear on what it's clear and candid on what it's like to not only break into the theater world but how to survive and the acclaim that she's gotten considering how biased the theater world is is truly astounding it's really something worth to celebrate also shout out to banging it because it is delightful really would you say that it's Banging. I hate you. <laughs> hey, fuck. Hey, fuck. <laughs> we are 13 years old. <laughs> they just Google maternity overalls or what? Yeah, I think they're. Oh, God. What's the name of the store? You're so cute. I've been looking for overalls for so long. They're so comfortable. That was the secret. I should have been pregnant. I was looking in the wrong section. Uh, I also indulged in maternity cashmere joggers that I just kind of live in. And they're they're probably, I mean, they, they're they going to fall apart on my thighs, basically. I just feel like they're just going to like drop away <laughs> one day while I'm walking. I'm like, no. That's the thing, huh? You got to wait till you're pregnant so that you can justify indulging yeah. in said items. No, I never did. And then when I was pregnant, I'm like, fuck it. I deserve everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the baby. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, oh, how old is your baby? I'm like, two. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I don't care what you, about your judgment. <laughs> well, Rehana, thank you so much for being with us. We're such fans of yours. So this is really just a lovely lovely little chat we're gonna have <laughs> you said it wrong it's chad i'm sorry uh let's take that back <laughs> uh so let's just jump right in we'd love to just get uh, an idea of what your introduction into playwriting was i was 16 and i was sort of a nerd and didn't really do much outside of school. And so I was like, well, let's do more school. And I was looking at these classes uh, at Montclair State because I grew up in central Jersey. And my sister was looking at it with me and she's like, you've already taken, like you already do short stories and you already done like poetry. You're like angsty teen girl poetry. Why don't you try something different like playwriting? So I was like, okay, big sis, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So I signed up and my poor brother had to drive me an hour every Saturday morning to my playwriting class and he just hated me <laughs> uh, and so that was my first introduction to it though and I fell in love uh, from there I used to always say I think I, this may have been in my application to NYU when I applied for dramatic writing I think I used to say like my parents always told me that good girls were quiet so I decided to write in a scream <laughs> it's, like, it's like very dramatic <laughs> But like that's kind of like my ethos as like a teen girl. That is A plus writing right there. So good. Oh my god. My husband mocks me for it mercilessly. He's like, Are you writing in a scream right now? I'm like, shut up! Get away from me. Leave me alone. Well, I mean, you took these classes, which I think a lot of people can undervalue like what it means to take a writing class and a 
playwriting class, like the, it, it can get so specific, the type of writing class you take, and that's just a PSA for everybody. But when did you realize in the class or even just out of the class that you could actually make a living off of this? Because I, I don't think people know that, that you can actually get a paycheck from writing plays. You know, actually, I think the the funny thing is, I don't think I ever was told that I couldn't make a living, right? And right. so then I was just sort of like, well, no one's told me like what the statistics are for female like playwrights of color. So therefore, I'm just going to launch myself into this like full throated. And, um, and so that's sort of the path that I followed. I think it wasn't until I was in my 30s and at this conference and they, um, the, the Lilies in conjunction um, with the Dramatist Guild, which is a playwrights um, guild, they, lo- <laughs> they showed these statistics of like how many women of color get productions nationwide. And I think the figure was like 1%. And I was like, oh no, what have I been doing for like 20 years? It was Wait, so you never Googled low. it. You never looked it up before. No. And, and that's I think, wild to me. I know. I, I think I've always been like a romantic and a little bit stubborn. Uh, so I kind of just like put the blinders on and like went for it. Wow. Oh my gosh. Did your parents not require a proof of concept or <laughs> like any sort of like well, return on investment? I'm just throwing out all the terms. <laughs> So my sister was mostly my like uh, cheerleader because, you know, she was the oldest and had been pressured to go to Rutgers, which in New Jersey mm-hmm. is like where all the Daisy children go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, majored in poli sci because that's like the respectable major. And so she was sort of like, let's do like a little experiment on you. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> And so, like, when I was in high school, my parents, my dad's job got transferred to Michigan, but I, like, kind of stayed behind and was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to finish out high school here. You know, Rui and Amir, my brother and sister, are, like, in college at Rutgers. They'll, like, check up on me, la, la, la. And I applied for Michigan State and NYU. Those were the only two colleges. Got in. And uh, I was, like, enrolled in both up to the very last minute. And my sister's like, nah, we're going to just drive cross country from Michigan and get you enrolled at NYU now. Like, move you in. Um, and we told my parents that I was going to do pre-law. <laughs> like that the writing was like all part of like you need good writing for like you know to be a lawyer and then my parents graduation and uh Alec Baldwin is a speaker and the first (laughs) words out of his mouth were arts is like the orgasm of life and I'm like (laughs) no this was your this was your college graduation yes and your parent like then what did you what was your your major did did you end up graduating in? Writing, dramatic writing. <laughs> oh my God. Did they know? Like, did they think you were still pre-law? I guess you can you can do any major and still be pre-whatever. So yeah. Yeah. That. I think that they they follow the rules of like when it's a problem, like we'll we'll step in, I guess. Like as long as it's across, across that bridge when we get there mentality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they were probably yelling at my sister a lot is what I imagine. Okay, this sister is so clutch. I need this sister in my life. Like she was, she just always pushed you to to take the risk because she never felt like she could as opposed to like being resentful that you can't take the risks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it's, she was definitely like fundamental in my playwriting career even because when I graduated, she moved in with me 
and we started a theater company together. So she was. I was going to say, we want to tell everyone what Ruhi does now. (laughs) (laughs) She pretty much does like all of my, she's, she does all of my work, basically produces everything. So. (laughs) And what's a, what's a theater company? Like what does that mean when you two start a theater company together? Well, it was interesting around that time period, we were just meeting a lot of actors, like a lot of South Asian actors, and we really wanted to like form a community um, and like meet as many South Asian artists as possible. Because, you know, it was that it just felt like that time period of like, it felt like it was time to start showing more South Asian stories in the world. Yeah. There's so many of us. Um, and so, you know, what it involved, like she did all the business stuff. So she formed the 501c3 and like, did the LLC paperwork. It was a really good division of labor because she just kind of did all that back end and did the producing side. And I did sort of like the outreach and the, like I was, um, I set up the, like the mailing list and things like that. I used to like go out and just like give people postcards and be like, sign up, sign up, you know, like all of those (laughs) things. And, And we just did our first production of one of my plays, Barriers. I think like, right after 9-11 had happened and it was like a play about 9-11 and just like for the community to come together and like have those audiences like we were just like all sobbing every performance uh, yeah it's like the way our identities were sort of dictated to us and sidelined and mm-hmm. identified and sort of flattened in a lot of ways uh, felt really isolating and so to yeah. have a community yeah. sort of breathe together and like witness art together I think that's so important that's something that only theater can offer which is part of the reason why I love it so much yeah and you were doing it at a time where there was just such a lack of it that having any bit of it and especially something where you know it's it's writing that that means something is just it's everything in the world well speaking of that writing you've written a lot of different types of storytelling like you worked in a lot of different mediums in the sense of plays and shorts etc um do you find it difficult to cross into those different mediums and and are there different learning curves when it comes to writing in specific types of mediums of storytelling yeah, yeah absolutely there there are big learning curves <laughs> you laugh like you have no idea <laughs> I'm still on the curve. <laughs> I have like crashed and burned like so many times. I just find it hilarious when I like look back and I was like, ooh, <laughs> I should be roadkill right now. How did this, how am I still going? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, everything is different. And they always say like playwrights like transition to TV really well or playwrights, you know, like you can do a indie film based on your play. And like, yes, but there's, it's very different and part of the time that I like to think about it is sort of when I start thinking of stories I try to think about like what genre is this best suited for like what Mm -hmm. medium is really calling out for this story to be told so that I kind of can get that right first because the art of adaptation is like a completely different art um yeah and even when you're working straight in within that genre where you're like, okay, this is going to be a film and I'm going to write it like a film, it's still like you you have to click a different side of your brain to be like, okay, film brain, get working. Yeah. <laughs> like, time to think in visuals and scenes that are no longer than like two to three pages. And as a playwright, you're like, scenes that are no longer than two to three pages. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm going to go through like whiplash if I watch a scene that's like two pages. <laughs> um, so 
it's it's definitely different. And and TV, I'm still learning about. I actually did the HBO Access program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I submitted a play and got in. And then part of it is like working with executive mentor, an executive mentor, and the program director to write your first pilot. And that was incredibly helpful to start learning the fundamentals of a TV pilot because it is yeah. very different. I can't recommend enough to aspiring writers, even if you want to be a screenwriter, I, I really feel like reading plays is just so valuable and you can find so many online just because there's something to playwrights that are able to transition into TV so easily because plays are so intimate and you're spending so much time with the same people that you have to know them so well, which means it's so nuanced. Like it's, it's just reading a play is like you're in the world with them. I can't, I just, I love reading plays. And I feel like anyone who wants to be a writer should also read plays. For me, like plays are where the heart, you know, your character, your characters are there, your world is building is there. And it's just sort of like, that is where like, you have nothing else to rely on, but like the power of, of forward moving words to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, so to me, like that skill and that, I don't know, for me, it's like watching magic. And so I kind of love, that's why I love theater. And I keep going back to plays over and over again. Oh, love that. Well, a lot of your work, and and this is particularly why we wanted to reach out to you, is it tackles a lot of themes that are unfortunately still, you know, considered taboo in the Desi community. And I, I, I wonder if externally you had any barriers to entry with that, with like family or press or whatever, but then also internally, because I feel like, I, I particularly think of your play Hate Fuck. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, how do you pull from such a personal or vulnerable place to write about something like that, too? Like, what's the internal barrier to entry? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, Hate Fuck is like my, was my seventh or eighth play. You know, I don't really count the, like, like beginner plays. They're like the first pancakes of the batch. <laughs> you know? So like it's definitely been like an you know a pushing every time with every play that I write. It's like you have to continually push yourself to be like what is actually important to you? What is worth writing about? What would make you be proud of what you're like contributing to like mm-hmm. the world right now and like how do you also cut through some of the noise? Cuz honestly yeah. there is a lot of noise. And so I think as you start to continue to like hone that and push that and explore that and and find your moral center because it's a little bit difficult to find that the more you can really full-throatedly like attack the work and kind of tackle some of the things that are frustrating you or that you're seeing in the world and you know it's like it's easy to put it on the page it's a little bit harder to like right. <laughs> you know sit in the audience while it's being oh my god I didn't even think about that <laughs> yeah uh yeah I think like you always know who the playwright is because they're probably crouched down like three inches lower than everyone else and kind of like <laughs> moaning to themselves quietly in their seat as they rock and you're just like, oh, poor, poor thing that's the playwright He's having a mini anxiety attack in the corner <laughs> totally yeah that's so, so for, funny yeah so like it's definitely easy to write <laughs> For me personally, and this is not everyone, if it's not socially saying something, I don't necessarily see why I should write it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's it takes time and it takes effort and it takes a lot of sacrifice to write a play. And so I want it to be worth something. And if it's yeah. something that's like fluffy and doesn't really say anything, for me, that's not worth it. But my husband yeah. does joke around a lot that like, whenever I have a play up, like I'm the rare playwright that like white audiences leave pissed off and brown audiences leave pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> I pretty much 
pretty much satisfy no one. <laughs> it's an equal opportunity. You know what? That's equality right there. <laughs> also, I do want to, I want to shout out Rehana's husband is also a brilliant playwright. Like y'all are literally a power couple. <laughs> we are pretty naive. I always say like, we just double downed on it. We're like, whatever. <laughs> We'll figure it out. It's fine. (laughs) I think you make a really important point, though, because and and this happens in all facets of entertainment and and people creating art is we will try to to do what other people have already done because that's what's been successful. And you don't take the time to realize that that person was successful because they were they were contributing to the narrative. They weren't just repeating the same thing. And it's really important to to read other if you want to be a, a writer and actor, like you have to learn the craft, you have to read the classics and you have to read what's like important right now, but you also have to be able to have your own voice in that medium and not just be like Shakespeare was successful. I'm going to write all my plays like Shakespeare. Like, no, Shakespeare, it, it, Shakespeare's dead. It's done. Like move on. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't write an iambic pentameter for no reason. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I always say that as artists, we have to be in dialogue with other mm-hmm. artists. Like, and that means like what you're saying, like reading up on what people are currently talking about and like, how do I contribute my own voice to what people are talking about? And what, what am I saying to add to that conversation? We have like a lot of stuff in development that are, that's not, you know, PG and I'm, you know, very fearful that my parents are going to watch these things and be like, sure. is this what's going on in your mind? Like, is this, like who is this indecent daughter that we have raised and I'm just like how did you get over that like did you have to have any sort of conversation with them to be like hey this play is about two people fucking and they hate each other but they kind of love each other like how do you do that I think you know it's interesting I did a feature film in my 20s that my sister produced Hiding Divya and it was about bipolar disorder and the stigma of mental illness within the South Asian community Mm -hmm. and uh, it it opened in a theater in Michigan where my parents are. And so we all went to see it. And I was like so nervous, like sitting there next to my dad and my mom being like, oh gosh, what are they going to think? And like all these things. And there's like a lot of yelling and a lot of bad words. And like a lot of like, you know, it's about like, and like the daughter had like a, had a unmarried like pregnancy, teen pregnancy. <gasps> yeah, you know, all these things. And then my dad afterwards was just like, he said something like very thoughtful that just cut to the core of it of like, oh, mm-hmm. that was about how alone people feel, you know, or like it was like yeah. not to, not those exact words, but like very, very much along that pathway. And so then I was like, OK, like they'll look past the trappings of this to find like what I'm really saying because I'm their daughter and they know what I'm really saying. And what yeah. I'm really saying is something yeah. right. bigger about who we are in the world and how we're seen and our personal responsibility as a moral human. And what's really funny is that someone, um, a Muslim audience member at HateFuck emailed me afterwards. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I clicked on the email and like, and they were like, this was like the most Muslim play I've ever seen. Like it was surprisingly Muslim. And I was like, oh yeah, well that makes sense because like the things that I'm trying to say inherently have a greater like moral value or a greater like worldview and so that's my hope is that you know they'll everything that I write they will 
see something in there. What is uh, the general process of how a play goes from page to the stage? And aside from you as a playwright, what are some of the major players in order for that to happen? So, yeah, you have to write the play. <laughs> and then once you have it... Step one. <laughs> you have a play. <laughs> uh, or you think you do. <laughs> I'm like, is this a play? And then I'll hear it and I'll be like, oh, good, it's a play. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I've been lucky in that I found like a lot of development homes. And for me, like it's not really a play until you hear it with actors or you hear it out loud. And so various ways in which I've heard it out loud is like sometimes I'll bring in pages to writers groups. So I've been part of like the MIE Writers Lab where I'm a playwright in residence or I've been part of primary stages. And these are all theater companies and oftentimes they'll have like offshoots of writers groups. Um, so I'll bring in like 10 pages or like the whole play and we'll just sit around as writers and hear it out loud. Um, mm -hmm. I did it with the Lark actually over Zoom. So actually Zoom is like pretty easy too to like yeah. do it. And then once you hear it and you start rewriting it and get feedback and you feel like it's in a really good place, that's when you start sending it out to lit managers. And lit managers are at bigger theater companies. So they're, they're across the nation. There are all sorts of theater companies. And there are lit managers who are there to like read your work. Um, and so like I would go see shows at like theater companies um, and be like, oh, this theater company produces work that feels like it would be similar to mine, you know, or like right. they would be receptive to my work. Like uh, Playwrights Horizons or some of the, or Second Stage in New York, I was like, oh yeah, they seem like they would do it. Whereas some of like the more like downtown-y stuff, I was like, oh, maybe not so much, <laughs> like, right. you know? Uh, so it's like identifying which theaters like you can be friends with, I guess. Uh, and then a lot of the times actually with lit managers, I would get coffees with some of them just to like get to know them and they would get to know me. Like I think with Natasha Sinha, who's like a really great, uh, she's not a lit manager, but she's actually a producer in her own an artistic producer. But like we grabbed the coffee with her just to get a sense of like, hey, what's the theater like? Would they be receptive mm -hmm. to my work? Like, how can we get to know one another? Because it's like a long journey. Once it gets to the theater, if they're interested, sometimes they'll do an in-house reading with actors and like, you know, private and you're like, it's like an audition. You're like, oh my God, they're listening to my play. <laughs> like, I hope it goes well. Um, and then you have one of those. And then if they decide to produce it, they'll produce it usually in the next season. Do lit managers, like, are they usually receptive to wanting to do like get to know you coffee? Like, are they present at the plays or are there emails like on the company website or how do you even... Yeah, on the website, I usually just get in touch with them. They, uh, they've they been pretty receptive. Sometimes I just, instead of coffee, I'll just invite them to a reading that I might have because putting together your own reading is not that um, hard or like sometimes a theater that you're like part of will put up a reading for you as part of their reading series if you're part of the writers mm -hmm. group or if you apply. Sometimes there's like, there's a lot of submissions that you can apply to uh, for like development opportunities. Right. So if there's a, the big ones are like O'Neill, uh, the O'Neill, which has like a summer development conference, uh, but, or uh, the Lark Development Center has their like annual playwrights uh, festival. So right. there's a lot of readings that you could do that you then invite the lit managers to as well. So that there's context for your work and then you can grab coffee, like after, follow up like a couple of weeks later and be like, hey, I, I saw you saw my play, would love to grab a coffee and discuss it. Do you just write one play and you're like, this is it, this is my heart let's go full swing or is it worth it to have kind of a repertoire of work before you approach these lit managers because 
maybe they respond to you only that one time and you don't want to blow it or if you have a play it's fine to invite them to that reading but like make sure that that play is as far along as its development as you you know you think it's going to go because like mm-hmm. they're not going to come to several readings of the same play it's going to yeah. be like they'll come to one reading of your play so you don't want that to be the first time you're ever hearing that play out loud <laughs> yeah sure, you yeah. know um so you you really want to make sure your play is in the best shape as it can and so like what i figure out in terms of my process like i'll read it just amongst like friends the first time mm-hmm. and i'll read it again maybe like with different friends the second time and then I'll have actors and then I'll have different actors and then like (laughs) then I'll invite audience members (laughs) like so it's like this like slow and then I'll invite after I've maybe had like two rounds of audience members then I'll be like hey check out this play I have it's brand new (laughs) I wrote it it's brand new for you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the moral of that story is Rehana has a lot of friends. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of friends. Yeah, I run through people a lot. They're like, oh my God, I can't go over her place. You have friends that are like, you have friends that are like, I'm around three friend. I'm not around one friend. <laughs> do, you, do you recommend like seeking out these writers groups or are there ways to find them? Like, is it a Facebook thing? Do you, can you just Google like playwright writing groups? Like how do you kind of, because there's also a, I mean, I still suffer from this. It's very hard to understand in our industry what's legit and what's not. Like, because there are so many people running scams. And so, like, what what kind of platforms do you recommend for people to find uh, that legitimate community? Yeah, there are a lot of scams out there. I think anything with a submission fee, it's this is different in theater than in TV and film. But anything yeah. with a submission fee for theater, do not do it because that's yeah. that's a scam. Totally. Like, theater yeah. is not paying enough. Yeah, there's not enough money in it for you to be paying into it. Um, yeah. I was just Googling this one site that there's a playwright, Oren Squire, who uh, wrote for This Is Us, actually. And um, mm-hmm. he does a blog, like a email every month of all the op- playwright opportunities um, that you can sign up for. And so it's like just like oh, really nice. great, like commu- playwright community thing. And I think that it's, the site is sixperfections.blogspot.com. Oh, that's awesome. That submission is really helpful to know because yeah. uh, like on Reddit and stuff, people are always talking about how like there, there are starving artists who will save their money just to submit yeah. to these things and you they don't even know who's reading them or if they're even Absolutely. being reading. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think the, there is like one or two exceptions to the rule. And the only exception to that rule is the O'Neill, which I mentioned. But I think mm-hmm. that they've started like maybe a scholarship fund for those. I'm not 100% sure, but like yeah. it might be. And and maybe Bay Area Playwrights Festival. Like I've been kind of like, they also might have a scholarship fund. But those are the two that I'm like, well, they're legit. But most of the time, like I think there's like a lot of, lot, a lot of fees for no good things. Yeah, yeah. Can we actually go back just for a second? Uh, we got we did the play portion of the just getting the play ready before you get it to the stage. Just if we can quickly just talk a little bit about how it's then produced to get onto the stage portion. Right. That part is the doozy. Okay. <laughs> That's like the like, I was part. trying to avoid that part of the <laughs> I want to keep it positive, happy. 
You really want to go into production? <laughs> Where everything goes to die? <laughs> no. Um, this is a, this is all. We're going to talk about this as a hypothetical best case scenario in in all aspects. That's how right. that's how we'll look at this question. <laughs> I know it's funny, like different playwrights have different skill level, like are skillful in different things. And so yeah. like, um, you know, it's fun and different playwrights love different parts of the process. Like I know a playwright who loves tech for some reason. They love to like sit there and tech in a theater show is like watching paint dry, in my opinion. I was like, I'm not Like this is where the director just tells the actor like move here. No, actually here. No, actually, let's brighten that light. No, can we hear that sound cue again? Okay. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> they literally say the same line of your play over and over again. They're like, they're like, hi, I'm, take it back. Hi, I'm. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Please, no. Don't take it back anymore. <laughs> You're like, I hate my words now. <laughs> the 27th time you hear it. <laughs> I, I say like the first two weeks of rehearsal are magical. And then around week three, you're like, this is never going to come together. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not working. You know, and it's all part of the process, but I'm a very like goal oriented person. So mm-hmm. I can't like just sit and enjoy the process. I'm just like, oh God, are they always going to be like this? Is it always going to be like a freaking paper clip hanging a curtain on this like rod? Like, where's my, where's my real curtains? Where's my real sofa? Oh my God. Boxes. Well, and in the, in the playwriting world, because in in features, the director kind of runs the show and the writer takes a backseat and TV, the writers kind of run the show. Who, who's doing that in the theater world? It's a, it's definitely a collaboration in the theater world. So it's very, it depends, it's dependent also on the project, but if it's a new play, a world premiere of the play, the playwright and the director sort of have to figure out a language together. And that's the most challenging process of theater, because if you and your director are not on the exact same page, it's going to really show right. in the stage project. So that's why it's so important to find a director that sort of gets you and gets the play and a lot of these developmental readings are sort of uh, for that process mm-hmm. of like, A, finding a director that works, but B, also developing that language with the director over time. Because like, once you get to production, there's really very little time to start developing that communication method. So yeah. you have to do it beforehand and figure it out. Do you, as a playwright, like when you take your play to with the, with the lit manager to that particular theater, uh, and they say, okay, we're going to produce it. Do they usually have like directors that are in house that they like to work with? Do you get to have any say in that? Uh, yeah. Or is that something that maybe is as you get more established in the playwriting world? Like how does that process work to to make sure that you're getting a director that you feel like you can work with? Kirsten, mm-hmm. you're just poking holes in all the fraud in the theater. You're like, hey, look at this over here. This looks like really messy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Casting, but she's also a detective. <laughs> she's like, I bet you've had problems. <laughs> so the theater, obviously, they're putting in a lot of money into your theater production. They're going to have opinions on the director, and they want a director who can handle, you know, handle it, handle the production mm-hmm. aspects, which is a lot. And as a playwright, you want a director that you can work with well. And it's best when 
you know, the theater knows that person and loves that person. And then you're like, yay, happy ending. Like, case closed. I'm working with this person. And then it gets a little more fraught when they're like, who? Who do you want to work with? Ooh, I don't know. And sometimes the theater will set you up on coffee dates. So similarly, you're like, they're like, here are a list of like three directors I want you to consider. Go and have a date with them. And usually this is like, they, this is usually before production. So this is like, you're going to be doing a reading. And they're mm-hmm. like, I want you to consider this person. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> um, and so out of those three, you're like, yeah, I really like this person. And you know, like you do your due diligence, you email all your playwright friends and you're like, who's worked with this person? What, what are the, what's the dirt? Like anyone have right. any bad horror stories? <laughs> and they're like, you know. And that's how you kind of... And they're like, yes, because everyone has... <laughs> and then you have to weigh how bad that horror story really is. If it's something you can live with, right? like really bad. Yeah, is it, is it an inconvenience or like a full-on travesty? It's just like, what, what's the scale here? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and then usually so you kind of stick with that director like for the ride, usually. So once you decide on them for the development read you know like with banging it our musical we are we had a a Rhinebeck reading with one director and then when we got to springboard which was a dance workshop you know the producers of that you know sat us down like had a list of names and we met with some and some were of it and also like you have to deal with availability so like a lot right. of directors are like sorry book till 2025 see you later yeah <laughs> and well so, at this point they really are yeah <laughs> Um, and so and then we got on a director that we liked and we've just been kind of working out like language like you know like oh hey this is what's important to us oh hey we feel like you staged that scene like not quite how we intended it and like Mm -hmm. so that's we've had the luxury of like having that conversation over time and that's really important because like you know no director uh, is going to know what's in your head (laughs) like 100% of the time and so you have to really just kind of hash it out and figure out like how it's going to work and give people opportunity to to play and fix and change and yeah. you know, and and same on you know it's a give and take on that end. Mm. Yeah, part of being a writer is is being precious about it while you're writing and making sure it's so personal, but realizing that changing what you've written is is part of the process and you know you got to move the furniture around in the room before you figure out what the right arrangement is and um that's just like that is a personality trait you need to be okay with if that's this is the career you want to have totally totally are there playwrights that are like Aaron Sorkin-y in the sense that like he write he now is like directing stuff that he writes like are there people like that Aaron Sorkin-y I was like where is she going with (laughs) (laughs) no because you know like he wrote no, no, he like, cause he like wrote Sh- the trial of Chicago seven. He directed it now. You know, that's what I mean by that. It's rare that playwrights direct their own work unless they're sort of like a auteur, like young Jean Lee. Right. Like auteur. But then even when she goes to bigger theaters now, um, gets a different director. Like when she had her second stage Broadway run, it was not directed by her. So, you know, it's sort of um, an interesting case. Usually it's downtown folks that uh, are able to do that because there's just more of like a a little bit less risk or actually more risk like downtown is willing to embrace more risk right (laughs) so you know I I think it's just like 
it's funny because I would direct my own film or maybe even TV show, like with like a little bit more like experience. Um, but I would never direct my own theater work because mm-hmm. theater is so mm-hmm. much about the collaboration. Yeah, and because right. the elements of theater are so specific um, in terms of like what you're looking for in a director, mm-hmm. um, a theater director, because so that what they're doing is sort of like the stagecraft of it and the and sort of the the back and forth. It's like all about the conversation, and so I can't really have that conversation with myself. I could, but it wouldn't end well. Yeah. But that would be a whole, again, that'd be a whole other episode that we could get into. <laughs> Not to say right there. <laughs> that conversation. You should change page 10. Should I change page 10? I don't know. What should I change about page 10? No, I don't know. You change, just change it. <laughs> it would evolve very quickly. Uh, Rehana, thank you so much for joining us on this very weird fun ride that we just had where we I know I'm kind of bummed we didn't have mimosas with this interview because you just feel like a fun person to have mimosas with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did listen to a few other other of your podcasts and I was just like well I'll just be the weird one I know it already I love it I love <laughs> I mean, it these seem very informative and very useful oh well <laughs> well usually we're the weird ones so it just kind of it just kind of works out in our favor honestly <laughs> you're just I just think you're a incredible person I think how vulnerable you are with everything you write is very admirable as someone who is not a writer I just could not picture doing that but it's very refreshing to hear you talk about it in such a it's easy like seriously just put the pen to paper and just write what you're feeling like you can do that it's not hard absolutely yeah I recommend everyone to do it I mean it's for me for better or worse it's like definitely like therapeutic (laughs) so like if I don't go if I don't write for a while I turn into like a raging like Tasmanian devil (laughs) 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 and I always say like the first my first I call my first draft always like the shit draft (laughs) like like, well I just I just did that we call them vomit drafts (laughs) that's a good one too it's all like the excrement of the human body (laughs) I have made it this is it yeah and there's like obviously for the career path like just it's not like there's no salary job but there's definitely fellowships and grants and awards mm-hmm. and like and as you in productions and as you grow in your career you can get supported by some of this stuff and that's how playwrights make their living I forgot I didn't mention how I actually like <laughs> feed my children <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's like I'm I'm a, I'm a playwright in residence through the Mellon Foundation um, in partnership with HowlRound they do a yearly salary for playwrights to be in residence mm-hmm. at a theater company so I've been on that uh, entering year six now so we've wow. been incredibly lucky to have that fellowship um, but then there's like Amazing. awards and and things and yeah we've just kind of made it work um and you and there's always a way to do it I keep like this financial spreadsheet of accounting of like how who does doesn't who's basically like make yeah yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah and who doesn't right I did it for like I showed it to somebody and they were just like oh my god this is like too much <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to get $10 from this play development reading. See, it's here. It's coming in February. (laughs) I love that. They're like, that? Do you really need to record that? I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah, that's basically adulting right there. That's what that is. Absolutely. (laughs)
Absolutely. That's the first thing my dad taught me when I turned 18 was like, I'm going to show you my financial spreadsheet and you're going to use this exact spreadsheet. (laughs) Now I can't even like buy a Coke without putting that 250 in the the freaking spreadsheet. (laughs) I'm then feeling bad about it. No, it's terrible, but I love it. It like it really speaks to me. <laughs> the chat room is hosted by me, Nikki Menon, and me, Kirtana Sastri, in partnership with Brown Girl Magazine. Wallavi Sastri is our consulting producer. All podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh, and opening music is by Sridhar Bamnipati. Special thanks to Thrisha Sukujawalia. Please subscribe to The Chat Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Thanks for tuning in.